Hello and welcome to Bluebells Forever, a podcast with interviews of Bluebell dancers past and present. Join Sherry Lewis, a Bluebell herself, as she leads us on a journey through story and experience. And now here's Sherry. So I get a second reunion with Brienne Waters, and we got to meet waiting in line at the, the Bluebell reunion last summer for the photo, and also we took the dance class together, and I, there's a lot of time in the waiting period, and that's where we found out, like, we both worked for Jean and Ryan, and, and I think I was intrigued because you were much younger than the rest of the line. You and, was it Tara? Tara, Tara. Yeah, the rest of us were like 60s, 70s, 80s, and then we got these young whippersnappers in line with us. So <laughs> it was really fun to see like how how many generations that the Bluebells are right. started and still going. Well, so- I... I, sorry to, to go ahead and interject. I will say we might have been the young whippersnappers, but there were some women in there that had an unfair advantage of bionic hips. So yes. they... <laughs> Oh my gosh, yeah. I remember stretching in that dance class and there's a picture every on the ground and I'm like, mm, I'm going to stop halfway here. But, um, <laughs> yes. Do you have anything that you want to share about that reunion? What was it like for you to come and be in the, in the midst of all these bluebells, past, present, and all different ages and it was absolutely fantastic. Um, I will preface, I didn't uh, mention this earlier, I'm terrible with names. So I do apologize to anyone who I name incorrectly. Um, that's what you get getting too many kicks in the head. So, um, <laughs> it just, but the, the experience of being, knowing that, you know, this is our theater family, but knowing there's so many more layers that we don't even necessarily understand or realize. And I know a few people have mentioned that when you're in your early twenties or in your early career, you don't necessarily know what you're becoming part of and the history behind it. And um, I actually, when I found out about the reunion, I was like, this is something I want to do. This is something I want to plan for. I want to be there. And so when they, said, you know, your, your comment of, can we recreate this photo? I was like, oh, I would love to do that. And um, the, the masterclass was just a, are you kidding? I get to dance on the Lido stage. And it wasn't until I think actually after the class had finished that I realized it was a decade between when I had last danced on Jubilee stage and I was dancing on the Lido stage. Really? Yes. Oh, wow. That just, that was one of those moments of I knew a bit of the history and I'm so grateful for it. There's this one man that I worked with um, when I was still a teenager working in music theater growing up. He was one of the professionals and he reached out to me when he found out that I was in Jubilee and he, we weren't on social media at that point. Um, and he just emailed me. He was like, Oh my gosh, you're a bluebell. I'm so excited for you. And I was like, I mean, yeah, I'm a bluebell. I'm not one of the tall nudes. Like I'm, you know my father and my mom. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, and I didn't really realize, but I believe his mom was a bluebell. And so that's why he was so excited for me. And so then a decade later, I'm sending over Facebook. I'm like, hey, by the way, in case you're interested, there's this reunion happening. And he's like, I'm so happy you realized what you're part of. So, oh wow, it, yeah, it was just one of those, like, we had done 
West Side Story and I don't even know what other shows together. And randomly he was emailing me and I'm like, well, I mean, that's the title of the, I'm a tall bluebell, of course. I'm one of the short tall bluebells, but I'm a tall bluebell. <laughs> and um, then, you know, a decade later going, oh no, there's so much history and getting to stand there in the midst of all of these amazing, beautiful people inside and out. And um, we met, I remember on our way out of registration, this beautiful woman, and I wanna say Irma, but I might have that wrong. Um, she was the first dancer when they reopened the theater, when it was built for like the first uh, Bluebell show. She, she was like, I was the first dancer on that stage. And oh. my husband and I are both like, just standing there going, are you kidding? Can we take photos with you? <laughs> <laughs> and um, my, my husband's six, seven, and she, she almost topped him. And oh. so, and that was just like, I really am one of the short bluebells, but I'm a short, tall bluebell. So <laughs> um, that the whole reunion and the class and yeah, okay. Some of us might not be moving the way that we were when we were paid as bluebells, but as soon as that music starts and the tilt of the head and the shoulders and the presence, it really is something that just carries with you. And that weekend especially, it was so easy to go, and that's a bluebell walking down the street, and that's a bluebell walking down the street. Oh my gosh, yeah. when you get closer to the Lido and you come around the block and you're like, oh, <laughs> that must be where I'm going. Cause they just, not just that they're tall, but the way they stand and their mm -hmm. presence. And it's not just, yeah. I remember like when I worked, we, we had the similarity working for Jean and Ryan. I remember being mm -hmm. on flights together and because we're, I was way taller. I think because Jean and it wasn't as tall, but people mm -hmm. see a bunch of tall girls and they would ask if we were a basketball team. Volleyball team. Volleyball. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Every if, time. If, if you're tall, you, you're not a secretary. You must be right. something <laughs> else. Right. Um, so it, we, I mentioned musical theater. So mm -hmm. I don't know any direction you want to go if you want to work backwards or forwards, but it sounds like they've overlapped quite a bit with your, with your musical theater training and being a bluebell and yes, yes. Like, I don't know if you did one chunk and then another or if they overlapped and what you know it, it all overlapped. I, I grew up wanting to be a ballerina, always wanted to be a ballerina. Um, well, I take that back. I wanted to be pediatrician, veterinarian, lawyer but that was like the progression of I adore children but not when they're sick and screaming so pediatricians out I'm allergic to everything veterinarians out um, attorney my mom was a paralegal and she was like please do not do this to yourself so oh. um, and then I was like 14 years old we had lived um, in a town for two years already that I had examples of people making a living and being professional theater performers dancers singer actors and I brought a stack of, um, printed out a stack of different school like overview pages that I had gone through and said, these are the universities I want to look at because I want to dance and I want to go into theater. And my parents had brushed it off for a while. And then they were like, oh no, she's serious. And yeah. so, um, but I will say my first paid internship, but still a paid uh, job at the theater was stepping in as a swing in Crazy for You, which is a show about Ziegfeld Follies, like yeah, Zangler Follies, <laughs> coming out to Dead Rock, Nevada. And um, it, I was one of the only teenagers in the show. The entire show was cast professionally. It's one of the few shows that the theater did that way. And 
it was just amazing. And it, it solidified, this is what I want to do because I want to be able to work. And at 510 in the ballet world, it was hard, but a very real, honest truth that it just, that wasn't really available um, to go into ballet. And so it's like, okay, next best thing, which actually might be better is singing, dancing, laughing, tapping, everything. <laughs> so, um, but it all fed into each other. I went to Oklahoma City University for dance. They're known for their rockets, um, but they also have amazing music and musical theater program that um, uh, I'm missing names right now. Kristen Chenoweth and Kelly O'Hare. No, Kelly. Oh, like I said, I'm terrible with names. They've got well-known Broadway. There's almost not a Broadway show when they're open that doesn't have an OCU alumni in it. So this I um, always heard of them for a strong musical theater. I didn't know they had a connection with Rockettes. Mm -hmm, yeah. And um, then from there, um, Jubilee and Jean-Anne, they, it's really something you, you know, when you're with Bluebells or when you're with um, your people, because you don't feel like the Amazon out in the daisy field, you feel like you're back home with the rest of the Amazon. <laughs> yeah. So um, it's, yeah, it just, the, the experience of knowing that this is where I wanted to go with life and now especially sitting at home and realizing things are going to be very different coming out of this um, but also maybe hopefully in a good way that we might have a resurgence the way that we might have another old Hollywood golden era that comes out of this for live theater because we have to figure out a different way the same way they came out of their plague and their depression and their um, hmm. Um, oh, whatever the third one was, the three things that we happen to have all in the same six months that they spread out over like the first 20 years of the beginning nope. of the 20th century <laughs> that, that led to the, the old Hollywood golden era. So well, that's actually really interesting. Yeah. So I think people are, there's nostalgia. You also appreciate what's gone in a different way. And mm -hmm. I'm like, well, well, also doing Gene and Ryan will jump all mm -hmm. over the place. Sure. Less sequential with you. I don't know why. I think is where we started. <laughs> um, like you did, cause when I worked, I worked in the, like 83, we just was a small ships mm -hmm. and like, it was basically the dance floor that they just moved. We did a show. Our dressing room was basically by the Pac-Man machine with a curtain. <laughs> it was, oh, wow. It was very, okay. <laughs> we did two ships where you would, they would put us on a seaplane first on a rowboat on a seaplane, then a little truck to go to, we did the sunward and the starward. So we traveled three days and we performed three days made one day off. It was crazy. Oh, wow. But then, okay. I, then I see the shows now, like when Jean Ann was in town, she had me come on one of the ships that was in port. Mm -hmm. And it was a full on production. It was glossy. Mm -hmm. The okay. dancers were fierce, but they like, this is a real stage. And then mm -hmm. they do a, a book show, which we didn't do. We did some roaring twenties, a silly skit thing, but it's definitely <laughs> the caliber that you get. So if you're performing, you know, you're a musical theater person, you get to do, kind of the best of both worlds. You get to have the Vegasy review mm -hmm. and you get to do your acting and singing and not let, like, you have to put that aside now because you're doing a showgirl show. Right, right. Did I, you have a um, of that? Like, I mean, doing Jubilee, I know it's very different or, or is it like just a new thing to do and a new angle? Um, it, 
going from Jubilee onto ships was very different for the fact that you went from doing the same show 12 times a week um, and having your grocery store and your friends and your coffee dates and everything else to um, three or four shows plus a couple of like intro get the party started gigs um, but you're there for six months or four months or um, that that was probably the largest change that you're there for a set amount of time but it doesn't necessarily overlap at the same time as the people you make friends with and so whereas at Jubilee everybody's contract changed at the same time you have 20 to 60 people every week changing over on a ship out of a thousand person or a 1,200 person crew. And it sounds like a lot of people. It's really not. It's a very small floating town. And so mm-hmm. everybody gets to know everybody. Um, and your, your friend that you had coffee with at the same time on the same port day or same sea day, whatever it was that you had this schedule for the last eight weeks or maybe f- five months, all of a sudden they're gone. And that little piece of your schedule is different (laughs) all of a sudden so um but at the same time what where did you guys port out of miami right or did you where you did the i i did alaska for three seasons and then caribbean for one season so um and a reposition so we were out of seattle actually um i love your nordstrom rack it's the best nordstrom rack (laughs) you're welcome (laughs) um but we went alaska and Victoria, British Columbia. And then um, in the Caribbean, I've also been family travel. I met my husband working on ships. He was, we're, didn't know it at the time, but very stereotypical officer and a dancer. Um, <laughs> so I've done a lot of family travel with his ships as well. So Caribbean wise, I've gotten a little bit of a different viewpoint because working on US based ships, you go to certain islands and working on European based ships, you go to different islands. So, um, but sorry, did you ask which was my favorite port or where we ported? <laughs> um, I forgot. Okay. <laughs> it's very different because it's like how like the Alaska to run is very different, like Santa mm-hmm. Alaska and then the Caribbean because I only did the Caribbean. Okay. Um, but I've heard people that have worked on NCL and other ships that got to do the Alaska one. I've heard it's beautiful. It's gorgeous. There are mosquitoes during summer because of all the melting snow. That's something people don't think about. And the majority of dancers I know are very mosquito attracted. So, um, yeah, (laughs) that's the one. It's 70 degrees. All the snow's melting. It's just a lot of sitting moisture, but it's beautiful. It's, It's, yeah, it's green. It's, it's lovely. Um, I will say I've also done the uh, Norway and Baltics and um, Alaska and Norway are very beautiful and you would think very similar because of where they're at literally on the planet, but they're not (laughs) at all. I love Norway. I've been in Norway several times and I'm like, this looks like home, but not, not not really. Not quite. Yeah. But it is that beautiful, Mm -hmm. cold, clean, like the air is so clean and it's just, yeah, everything that's just like the outline looks more defined when it's so crisp. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I want to go back to OCU because you, okay. how you ended up, this route is all very fascinating. I love every dancer's, <laughs> you know, like this is what I'm going to do. And so I'm like, I was here and then I ended up here. 
Right. So when you left OCU and you know you're not going to be a ballerina, were you heading like towards Broadway or what were your goals or your vision as a dancer? Yes. So um, actually went to OCU once I realized not going to be a ballerina. So it's, that was where the, the focus shifted because OCU is um, dance program wise, they want you to be well-rounded triple threat, not just in acting, singing, dancing, but also tap jazz ballet um, character, Broadway history, jazz history, tap history. They want you to understand the full picture of where it came from. Yes. Um, before you get out there so that you understand hopefully where you get to help take it to the next point. Um, so from OCU, I went to New York and did all of the gigs um, that I could. I actually got my first job the first week I was there because I knew how to sew. And there was a clothing store that was opening up their flagship. And because I knew how to do power tools, um, part of my uh, work study at OCU, I worked in the theater department's scene shop. So I actually, through OCU, not only was I doing all the dance school stuff and costume shop work study, I then was building sets. I was building props. I was setting light cues. I was doing everything behind the scenes um, to also have a better understanding of it. And um, that was really fun and great. And then with the knowledge of how to build things and sew things, I got my first job um, in New York as a on-site tailor and salesperson in a clothing store that normally they're like, well, you need experience on a sales floor, but they were still literally building the shelves to put the clothes on. <laughs> and I'm like, I can do those things. Yeah. So, um, and then from there, they didn't really have a schedule that was conducive with auditioning. And at that year's Rockette audition, the alumni group from OCU was like, okay, as you get cut, we're going to be at this deli so everybody can come and visit and um, met one of my alumni that was out of school by the time I got there. And she said, hey, we're looking for a hostess if you're needing a more audition-able job. And so a lot of alumni support there and just kept going to auditions and considering them my class because sometimes you just can't make it to class or you can't afford class. And then... Um, got the call, I think, right at New Year's and ended up at, um, in Vegas, I think by the beginning, within two weeks, I was like, I'm out, I'm done. <laughs> I'm, I'm ready to try something different because this just isn't, isn't where I'm going. Um, and there's a lot of wear and tear on the soul of trying to keep that going. Yes. To do that audition life and there could be like a whole bunch at once or nothing. And then when you're in a dry spell, like, mm -hmm. I don't know, just like that'd be really hard to keep your motivation and your passion going when, especially if you're not getting booked, it's gotta be really right. hard to say hey, another day. Here we go. Well, and it's not even, I, I enjoy the rehearsal process. I enjoy the audition process most of the time, actually. Um, the, the audition side of it really wasn't that bad. It was everything else because going from this very structured, this is your class time, this is your, you have to figure out where within your class times you can eat, you can change your leotard and tights, you can change your hair for whatever class you're in or rehearsals or whatever to now you have to pay, not from your student loans, but you have to pay your student loans back and you have to pay for your food and you have to pay for your transport and your rent 
without that loan availability or without that support um, system, that's what was wearing and tearing mm. versus you walk into a studio and you feel maybe not at home, but you get used to the same faces. And um, actually there was a girl that uh, we were, because we were the new kids in town and this was when people were still like doing lists that they would honor when the auditioner got there, um, we would be the first ones there to sign up people, not all right in a row, but a few people down the line so that they at least were on the list. And we started a friendship. And then after nine months, all of a sudden I was in Vegas and I didn't have her phone number. I didn't have, we just saw each other at auditions. And while I was in Vegas, that same alumna that helped me get my second job in New York was working in, uh, I think it's St. Thomas, Utah, has a massive outdoor theater. And I went to visit her, St. George, St. George, Utah. Mm -hmm. And and, um, it was their closing weekend. And so we watched My Fair Lady and there was another show the next day. But after My Fair Lady, one of the ensemble members walked up to me and she goes, where have you been? And this was the same girl that I had been the audition buddy with. And I was like, I'm working in Vegas now. (laughs) And that was five months, six months out. And so the next season of auditions that I had been in Vegas already working, she had gotten booked out in Utah from that spring audition season. So it, New York was great the first time around. It was a lot of ups and downs, a lot of lessons learned. But after being in Vegas, I, there was so much more freedom and, and availability in getting where I wanted when I wanted to or finding a new way to get where I needed to go. Whereas um, it takes 45 minutes to an hour to go three miles on the subway. <laughs> and it's just not very, it's, um, it just, yeah, it ate away at my soul a little bit every time I moved back. And I moved back quite a few times. Um, but at that point I was working on ships. And so by the time I would get set up and maybe have gotten through audition season or not, um, I would get a call going, you know, somebody's paperwork fell through, are you available to go back on your ship? And so I would have little contracts in between the larger ones to fill in with. And that just took a toll on, I would love to be auditioning and to be in rehearsals and to be performing, but getting set up every time, getting an apartment that doesn't smell funny, that (laughs) you you know your subway stops from, you know your grocery store from, um, and getting settled into that and then packing it all back up, shipping it back home or bringing random stuff on board with you because you're not going to mail all of it back to your parents or to a storage unit that you aren't going to see for nine months. So New York's great when you have the stardust in your eyes or if, if you truly are part of the misfit island that it opens its arms and loves every one of them, them, but Mm. um, it was not my misfit island. So how did, how did Vegas feel for you to be somewhere long enough and to get your life kind of on a routine, but also I feel like there's so many things that you get to do while you're doing a show that's outside of your show life. Right. I, um, 
I remember my first impression of Vegas because I drove. So I packed up my stuff in New York, rented a van, drove it down to my parents' house in Tennessee, unloaded everything, got my car that had been sitting there for almost a year after I graduated, packed it up and drove to Vegas. And um, it was just one of those moments cresting over the hill to see Vegas for the first time. I was on the phone with my dad because he was excited and he was like, so I, I want to know what you think when you get there. Just make sure, I just wanted to check on you, see where you were. And I think it might've been um, maybe the third or fourth time I ever cursed in front of my father, but it was a holy fish. <laughs> it was so much larger than what I thought it was going yeah. to be because you see the pictures and it's the strip and it yeah. doesn't show you thousands and thousands of people that live there yeah so that was my hmm. first impression of Vegas um after having Diane Palm over the phone as I was talking through some contract questions and things while I was still in New York and I'm like but what about parking and what about this and that and she's like I love getting you east coast girls out here just my <laughs> <laughs> gosh yeah it's so different like to be in New York there's no parking like there's miles and miles of flat mm -hmm. areas Mm-hmm. And parking was still free when I was there. Oh yeah. So. <laughs> did you have much time to settle in before you start rehearsals, or did you get there and bam, you're back, you're in rehearsing? No, I so um, driving, especially for those that are listening that haven't been in the U.S. That they, especially if they're from Europe or um, maybe South Americans would probably understand, but Europeans think, okay, you know, she's driving from. New York to Tennessee to Vegas. It's like, you don't understand. That was a four day trip. Yeah. And that. <laughs> I went Seattle to Vegas and that was like, that's probably a third of what you did, I think. Mm -hmm. Mine is a two day trip. Yeah. 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 So, um, and, and I stopped off in Oklahoma City because it was right at spring show season or <laughs> spring show rehearsal time. They had just started classes again in January. And I just stopped off for, a day to visit them. So it ended up being almost a week travel. And so three weeks from the phone call to being there. And I think maybe I had two or three days. I had a, a college roommate that was already living in Vegas that I was able to crash at. And within those three days found my apartment and went to HR and did all the introductory orientation. Um, first corporate gig, I will say was interesting. Um, I am a pack rat. I have used the COVID isolation to start going through all the paperwork that doesn't need to travel anymore. And I just, yeah. just threw out my, my um, Harris Entertainment handbook, employee handbook. <laughs> you might so, not need that. No, not really, especially because I don't think they're owned by Harris anymore. So. What but. was your... What was your rehearsal? Because you went in with some other people. Like, yes, we had one of the... We had one of the largest uh, changeovers at the time because when we went in, there were 120 performers on stage, um, dancers, I believe. I don't think that included the singers. And um, I, I went in with a class with Lara Preister and Jonah and Charlotte. And there's so many that I'm not remembering. I'm seeing faces though, Jessica Martineau and Maria Kent and Kristen, two Kristens actually, singer and dancer Kristens. And I think we had right around 20 people, which that, that was actually a large group of people to yeah. be transitioning. 
and um and you're also can I, and you're also not going into the same line right no because no, no, it's no. so because so in hello hollywood like you could go get hired together but one is going to be group a i don't know if you guys did it by letters but even rehearsing you're not all rehearsing the same numbers no, no so the the boys were all boy dancers were all on their own the singers were all on their own the singers actually had a very different schedule than we did and then you had short nude tall nude short bluebell tall bluebell and so um and it it was the show would end and i think rehearsal was warm up for those of us that were not in the show was as soon as you cleared the stage as soon as the the um crew said stage is ready you were able to go on stage and um you had to be warmed up and ready to go by 12 30 in the morning and you would work until um i think like the longest ones were until four in the morning oh my gosh and then and if that's not your normal count uh, clockwork mm -hmm. that's got to really throw off a dancer to be right. awake kicking and functioning in your brain at that time of night or morning right. And then um, there were three weeks of rehearsal, I think, maybe two and a half. And then we started actually having placement of the different sections with the cast. And so you, they would have, the crew would be there. Once you understood the choreography and your placement-ish, they would then be running the sets and the elevators because um, Jubilee Stage, again, for those that never saw it or haven't, realize the spatial difference availability that there is in Vegas to Lido or Mulan. Um, it's, it, it was just massive. You had three stories of elevators on the main stage, and then you had two-story elevators on the turntables on the side stages. And so um, once you were the casting or the new cast was ready to be input into the show, then the cast members would go from doing two shows a night to doing three shows a night for about a week where everybody is staying and doing the show again with the new kids. Wow. And then your opening night would be Saturday night and the old cast members would be on the front and center table cheering you on. And um, it was just amazing. I remember seeing it the first time and going, I, I can't believe I get to do this. <laughs> You're paying. Yeah. Right, right. Do you remember like that feeling when you stepped on stage? I remember mine, I was just trying to make sure I was in the right spot and mm -hmm. the choreography. And then it was maybe the second show that I went, oh, damn, this is amazing. But I think right. the first, you're just trying to not get in someone's way. It took a little bit for me to just, and then not forget what I was doing because I was so overwhelmed with how amazing it was to be on that stage. But that first few nights, there's so much to keep straight, keep your costume right. on, whatever pieces you do have on. Right. Um, it's, we started the, so where I started for the show was actually in the, um, the basement level, costume shop level with the elevator, with the bluebells rising on the, uh, on the platforms. So the first time of having to like stand there and make sure your legs weren't shaking because, okay, you're thinking they're going to see me. They're going to see me because you've got mirrors that are showing you as you're rising up out of the, the basement. And it's like, as long as your feathers aren't shaking, you're good. Like just like, <laughs> nervous bird. <laughs> right. So, um, no, I, I really, the rehearsal process was so thorough. Um, even opening night, 
it just, you knew where you were. You, there was no question. If you got turned around, then that might be. Um, but oh, pretty much for the three weeks, I think after a new cast comes in, nobody gets vacation. Like unless there's outstanding circumstances of weddings or whatever, like nobody's on vacation. So no swings are in a different spot. But after that three weeks, <laughs> there might be a new face in front of you that you yeah. didn't see before because that's when everybody starts getting their vacation days. Um, I do remember, so my second contract, I was a swing um, from Samson and Delilah on because I loved my opening number and my disco spot. I was front and center of the mm. bluebell line. So literally center, even though I wasn't the tallest bluebell. And um, for whatever reason, I was like, I'm not swinging those. I like that. I can show people that come to the show. This is where you're looking for me to start. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, but I remember being a swing, um, my second contract in Samson and Delilah and both myself and my partner ended up being swings for that, um, for that number. And bluebells had half skirts that had something crazy. I don't, I want to say 18 or 22 yards of fabric from one side of your hip around the back to the other side that would fan out. We were like the whirling dervish oh, yeah, yeah. Um, things. And he got on the wrong foot in this lineup that we were supposed to be doing this thing across the front of the stage, moving from stage left to stage right. And we were the last couple and he stepped on my skirt and I did a full two log rolls in line oh, still, but log rolled flat, completely on the ground, popped up facing upstage and flipped around and kept going. Thought nothing of it. I am clumsy. I truly like dancers are the clumsiest people if we aren't given right. steps to do. So it didn't bother me at all. Someone had family in the audience that night and they, they were like, we thought it was part of it. Like you just kept going, no problem. Until we looked at everyone else's face on stage. Oh no. <laughs> because I mean, I had coins coming off of my bra. I had my cuffs that were just like the massive, like two inch, I don't know a centimeter what that would be, cuffs that like Velcro around to look like the the concubine jewelry whatever like popped off like i hit the ground hard and people were handing pieces of my costume back to me <laughs> didn't bother me. when he stepped on it did it come undone or was it just no okay, it, i think it did um i think it it just pulled um loose from the the like the hooks in my fishnets it went yeah. down where it shouldn't have been but it didn't, it didn't rip anything. Our costumers were absolutely amazing. That, that was also one of my favorite things of Jubilee when that awe moment, like, oh, I can't believe I'm here is getting fitted for all of your costumes. Just so fun. You don't even know what you're going to be doing in them, but you're so excited about them. Yes. <laughs> wow. Well, then even the fact that you knew how to build sets, like that your OCU, like if, mm -hmm. there was somebody else I interviewed that, that really took advantage of watching how wigs were made and costumes were made because mm -hmm. like you were already inclined in that it also was giving you this great education if you use it or not of not just what the dancers are doing like every every person making this show amazing like right. to fix all your little bits of costumes that came apart mm -hmm. because i remember like when you tear your fishnets the dresser mm -hmm. would so and i got on the ship and you had to sew your own tights i'm like oh right <laughs> and it's that <laughs> was i know and i didn't pay attention i don't remember 
what they were doing. I'm, I know they would sew it sometimes on you or otherwise they would be like, no, go change. I can't do it. It's too, too big or too short of time, whatever. But um, that was one of my regrets that I didn't pay attention to how they mended the fishnets. Oh, it's an art. I remember, yeah, I yes. did learn. Yeah, anybody listening that knows how to mend fishnets, we could make a business of this. Yes, <laughs> people just throw, We just throw them away. It's like, no, you don't throw away your tights. Mm -mm. Make those last. No. And you've got rhinestones and everything else to hook on them. Mm -hmm. So I, when earlier, you had said, like, you'd had an injury that set you back for a little while. Was that, did it happen in a show that you had to take time off from dancing? <laughs> no. Um, I laugh because this is, it, it for quite a while, especially when I was injured, I, I was very ashamed to say this, but I was on vacation visiting my husband's family in Germany, and we went to a hot thermal spa and water park, and I came out of a water slide with injuries that were con conducive to a 35-mile-per-hour car accident and oh. getting hit by a linebacker and getting our pads and helmets stuck for the nerve damage, the overstretching of nerve so a water slide, a water slide took me out. <laughs> um, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and so that, were you in the middle of your dance career when that happened? I was still um, on and off of ships a little bit. I had started working as a choreographer. Um, I had started teaching a little bit more and I was working uh, specifically with a traveling Follies company that I was the choreographer and assistant director, soon to be like the full director, um, choreographer, that, that job was literally, they, I called it music theater in a box. A charity group would go online and say, we want to do an 80 show. We want to do a 50 show. We want to do a Broadway tribute. They would pretty much get me and a few costumes or at least a few costume ideas and sets that designs that they would have to figure out how much they wanted to build or not. And we would put on a show for their charity benefit. With whoever walked in the room, congratulations, they were in the show. So it wasn't just <laughs> casting a show. It was restructuring and rebuilding a show around whoever you had and making sure they stayed happy and they came back the next year. <laughs> um, but so this, I think that's one of the things that it's, it's when people get injured. I'm a massage therapist now and I mm -hmm. teach dance. So I get to see like when dancers get injured, that's like, I want to do massage. Like, how do we get you back dancing? Right. But it's very it's emotional like I think we kind of like oh it's just a limb but when I turn my ACL I remember my feet said something and I started crying like this is my livelihood mm -hmm. and so I think you know injuries come you know we have things that you recover from and some of them are way harder and it like it might mean the end of your career right and, and that your body that, isn't working like, I'm just curious what that was like for you it was but well part of it was the head injury and um it's just something that it, it took two and a half, almost three years for my brain to wake back up. So I was kind of in a fog. I was definitely in a very, very dark place. Um, and all of the things that, unfortunately, I think a lot of people are feeling now, um, I understand because I've been there. My, I literally couldn't lift my arm above my shoulder, much less put plates away into a cabinet out of the dish. Like there's, there was no function of my body. And when you've lived your entire life, being able to do pretty much whatever you see mon monkey see monkey do. Yeah. And now you can't even vocalize to say, I, I need help. 
and to the point that you need the help like it yeah okay it hurts and okay go sit down until it feels better no that's not what i'm saying but you can't get the words to come out of your mouth um and so that really you have a little bit of an identity crisis honestly Mm -hmm. and um it it goes from I'm, if I'm not a dancer, then who am I to, I can't even function daily. How could I possibly be a dancer again? Yeah. And um, it took, I mean, there there was about two years that I couldn't touch the floor, just standing straight legged, flat feet, touch the floor. And when my brain and my nerves stopped (laughs) doing the weird things and my muscles and my, a lot of it was head and neck injury, but there's, there's nervous damage. Um, going to a new chiropractor, going to a new therapist, going to actually I haven't made a podiatrist. That's next week. Um, but over the last year and a half, two years now, that I'm like, okay, I actually need to go and check on things. They're like, how? How did you not get checked out earlier? And I'm like, I couldn't. I didn't know. I literally yeah. wasn't able to assess the situation. So the idea that um, injury can knock you out, it really, I mean, you don't, you really don't know what you're going to be able to do tomorrow um, or today. And, and people are realizing that there's, um, and and those are phases I think that we all have to go through at some point so that we continue to grow but we have to be able to nurture ourselves through that and Mm. unfortunately there are a lot of people that cannot or are not able not that they're not capable but they're not able to assess what's literally going on in their body or their head and ask for the help they need and um when i did get to that point um i had a few friends that were like hey something's changed. Like you're back. Like you've, you've been gone for a while. And I'm like, yeah. So, I mean, I feel really stupid and having to say this, but I was a dancer that couldn't touch the floor, like couldn't touch my toes. I was the performer that could swing in and out of a position in and out of a character, whatever you needed. And I couldn't say the paragraph running through my head. I could maybe get four or five words out to form a sentence. And that's really hard. It's really hard to say, but now um, somebody has to say it. Like <laughs> that's what I, I think. Things that we just that we gloss over, we take away from the humanity of what it is, the heartbreak, the beauty, but also the resilience. Because I can see you right now in my head on stage at the Lido, fully mm-hmm. dancing. Mm-hmm. What, that, that, I'm, no, that wasn't like, okay, now I'm all better. That must have been a really hard journey because the brain is the biggest part of that. Like if you have a brain injury, it's not like recovering from ACL. It's your whole right. nervous system has been compromised. Right. And, the, and emotional, like to have something taken away of an identity. That's a, that's a couple of big crises all at once. Right. And then when nobody around you really is able to recognize it, they think, oh, well, she's just in a sad place or she's in a, we were moving. We were planning a wedding. We got married. We were in a completely new town. Um, and just not being able to be who I was. And that's, that's really hard on your relationships. And 
Um, I did lose a few friendships and relationships through that because they thought that I just checked out and didn't care. And that's hard. Mm-hmm. And you can try to reach out and you can try to say, hey, I was in a weird place. But if someone says, you know, you're not being there when I needed you hurt my feelings, you don't get to say, well, well, no, like if you hurt them, you don't get to say that you didn't. And if they're not willing to even open up that dialogue, I, I am sorry. I truly am sorry. But if you're, if you're not open to rebuilding then there's nothing that you can do about it. And it, and you have to let them heal as well. Like I know I have a lot of work to do and both physically, mentally, emotionally, and we just moved again. So um, it's been, it's been very interesting. And um, there are people that want to be there to uplift you and help you good or bad times but we all have to be able to do that for ourselves first in order mm-hmm. the whole put your mask on before helping someone else. Um, but sometimes it, it's not even people are like, well, call me if you need anything. When, if they had said, Hey, do you need me to come and wash your dishes for you? Because I know that you've been sleeping a lot and, or even like, I haven't heard from you. Like, is there anything that, can I, can I bring you some food and just, you know, check in on you? Because that's not making someone make a decision. It's just a yes or no. Instead of going, there's 500 things in my house, in my life, in my mind that need help. But I don't know if you really need it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. I think, yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. That's so important. I'm just one of the girls that was my, one of my students, I interviewed third and then she interviewed me. Mm-hmm. I would told my my husband took his life twelve years ago, and I remember people like, "Let me know," but you can't say what you need. And she, and if you're listening, it was just it stands out to me because she came over so nervous because it's an awkward situation. Yeah. And she said, "I don't know what to say or do, but here's some chocolate fudge. Do you want to go to the grocery store?" And I like, "Oh my!" I would not have realized that we have to go to the store that we didn't have things, but it was somebody going, "I don't know how to do this, but I'm showing up." Mm-hmm. And I think like you know all, all of our stories, nobody's had this beautiful wonderful perfect life I mean we've all gone through hardships but I, I do feel like those friendships that are going to last through everything mm-hmm. it's a risk to say I might do this wrong but I'm but here I, for you, here yeah. for you. And I'm just so glad you said that because I feel like a lot of people are hurting right now COVID and mm-hmm. people are losing their jobs there's people that are there's so much I think because we're isolated doesn't mean we can't reach out and Right. I, yeah, I just think even just saying that is just such a good way to help people to know, like, I don't know what to do, but mm-hmm. I'm at least paying, paying attention to this. So, yeah. And so do you remember the first time you started that you actually started dancing and feeling comfortable in your body and trusting your brain again? Yes. Um, I, th- it was, I mean, there's a few pieces of it, but over the span of a year, I had um, had to do some renovation on <clears throat> on my own. And it was the first time that I did something being the clumsy person I am, I fell and I didn't hurt myself. And that hadn't happened. And so like, there was no residual there. Yeah. Okay. Maybe tender sore, but all yeah. dancers know the difference between tender and sore and hurt and pain. Yeah. At least I hope you do. And <laughs> because there's a big difference and it was like, Hey, wait a second. I'm doing stuff. I'm, I'm capable again. Mm. And so within 
three months, I was at my first audition in about two years. And I, I'm, I've always been a dancer first. I'm now transitioning into actor, singer before dancer, but um, my leg, one of, it's just one of those things I've known. And it's just, I get a nervous, I get a nerve tap, literally if for the tappers out there, I have a fantastic nerve tap. If I have to go and sing in front of someone in a space I've never been in, if I've been there before, so much easier. If I know the person so much easier, but if both of those things collide and after two years of not auditioning and having only been doing my songbook for mm -hmm. three months again, I had a great nerve tap starting at the beginning of my, my 16 bars. And I just, in my head, I was like, okay, it's either now or never. And literally like fixed my body, sang it out. And I got to do Violet in nine to five, which is not, she has to sing, but she's not like the absolute whaler of the show, but she has a dance number as well. And I got to do my pirouettes and my high kicks and it, it was just one of those, I can do this. Now I need to see if I still want to. <laughs> because yeah. um, it was the first, first production that I was one of the oldest people in the cast. That's such not a fun place to be when you've been the baby. <laughs> right. And, it, and even like the in-between person mm -hmm. on ships, because yeah, I started young on ships, but I, I had grown up a bit on ships. And at the same time, I'm going, wait a second, I'm a showgirl that can sing. I'm a showgirl that can act. And I'm no longer in that teenager casting type. I have so many more roles available for the next 20 years <laughs> mm. that don't require me to kick my face right. 70 times a night. So um, that, that moment was great. I actually was able to go directly out of that show almost into uh, straight into a play of Steel Magnolias and um, got to do the part of Shelby. And spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen it, she dies. And um, had a lot of people really giving, they're like, we knew you could dance, um, but this was a great, great introduction into straight shows, non-musical shows. And, um, and then directly out of that almost, um, I think there was a month in between, I ended up choreographing the Christmas show for that theater. And I was like, okay, this is the side of the table. I enjoy the acting. I enjoy the, the, the character possibilities, but I really enjoy directing and choreographing. And within the time span of a year of falling backwards into a tub because the floor was like, and realizing, hey, I didn't hurt myself. I've now done two shows performance-wise and I've choreographed another one and I've been doing gig works and doing showgirl things um, at the corporate events in town. And I... A year before that, I literally didn't know. I, I wasn't leaving my house for mm. five days at a time, like not even going out on the patio, which right now, yeah, I'm like, COVID. <laughs> yeah, I'm like I understand this. I've been here. Oh, Unfortunately, here. I did it to myself before, but now I understand what people are going through and maybe haven't had any sort of realization that this is for your well-being. And there, people go about healing in a different way. 
Um, but I also know the, the triggers that I have to avoid as far as going back down that spiral. Yeah. So, which is, is not fun when you um, combine it with another injury from home office and the couch moving and I hurt my foot. And um, thankfully, I do have some amazing friends. Actually, my first roommate on ships is now studying um, fi her final uh, semester of podiatry and her partner's already practicing podiatry. And so they've been doing some great Zoom calls on my foot for me. But as a dancer, she's like, we need to learn better from an earlier age, what we're doing to our bodies, because we're all so wear and tear and broken down. And yes, some of our bodies are just going to do that. But a lot of it is understanding and hearing those lessons, because I'm sure people told us some things, but there's a lot more we understand now that she's trying to go and say, from the feet up, yeah. we can do better. Oh my gosh, we need to like have that resource because I feel like, you know, we, we dance mm -hmm. till our body won't go anymore. But if you really are taking care of yourself younger, mm -hmm. we, I need to, I always hate ending this because I, I just feel <laughs> like I want to ask and go to more places with this. But I am picturing you right now on stage of the Lido and it makes, it makes that experience even more beautiful hearing what you had to overcome. And it, it feels like there's such grace for yourself in that process, which I think, you know, as a dance, like I just have to go do it or I have to push myself. It sounds like you allowing yourself to go slow and to grieve mm -hmm. and do all that makes the recovery not feel like just, you know, pull yourself up. It feels, it feels like a miracle and it feels just so beautiful of your resilience and that, you know, cause I can just see us on stage. Cause I remember <laughs> being very moved, but I'm like next to this mm -hmm. young girl who's half, half my age but just how beautiful beautiful dancer you are and the fact that you can act and do other things of that that part of you if you're you know once a dancer always a dancer if it's less mm -hmm. and less but you still get to embody by the getting to the choreography and to be in show that's truly beautiful and I think it's hopefully inspiring to people because an injury does remove people's career mm -hmm. and you know and that's, that's that's a sad reality as well but also when you can come back that needs mm -hmm. to be celebrated because yeah, head injury is, is not the same as a broken foot. Right. And, and thank you for that. And also just realizing that the people, especially in that reunion weekend, it was just so much love and appreciation for everyone's journey, not just dance wise, but in life and to be there together to understand and continue learning about the history so that we can possibly carry it on, pass it to the next two, three, four, five generations of Miss um, Bluebell standing up for her girls and saying, no, you don't get to treat people like that. And you don't oh. get to treat yourself like that. And we're going to take care of each other. And um, yeah, we're going to have the highest standards because we're going to have the highest standards, but we're going to do it in, especially in her time frame, but still continuing now of looking out for the people that are disenfranchised and are not able to step up and say, I don't know that I want to do that. People, people should be able to, to say that. And she was already doing it. <laughs> she was doing it 60 years ago, 70 years ago. And to know that so many of that family chosen family 
wanted to come back together and remember their beautiful, glamorous time and, and, and still meet the next generation and the generation after that. And it's, um, and, and honoring each other and what we've all been through mm. and understanding, you know, probably a majority of it, even if that majority is 51%. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. There's nothing I can say to top that. You just brought that into some really beautiful, like that's why we do, that's why we're telling stories. And I thank you so much for that. So I will be signing us off, but I hope you will send me lots of photos and it can be Jubilee, but if you have some cruise ship and all that, um, throw those in there. Cause every time we launch one, I like to show pictures so people can put a face and the appreciation of, of your, your yes. journey. So Definitely. thank you for having me. Oh my gosh. It was such a, it was such an honor. So I'll look at my picture is framed of us in front of the Eiffel tower group mm -hmm. one. I will say, I know her. Yes. <laughs> thank you for your heart, soul, body. Thank you. You too. And to everyone. <laughs> and to everyone. Good night. Or not good night. Goodbye. <laughs>